Okay, back here with uh, my friend Joe Geldof. Back here in Juneau, Joe. First first podcast in Juneau for the 30, 32nd Alaska Legislature. Well, nice to be here on your radio show. You've been on before, actually in this room. I have, and I, I only had a couple uh, people really say I, I deeply offended them and at that I should never appear on radio again. Well, when you did it last time, it was just after you and uh, Mr. Forer filed that suit um, against the legislature about the um, CARES Act money, right? Yes, and I have to say, you and know, a I lot had of a, folks listen to that podcast because well, was, I had a few brickbats come towards me, but you know, for the most part, people were a what brickbats? What's you know, a brickbat? Well, it's things that people throw through your window when they don't want to call you out face to face. Oh, I deal with I deal with a lot of brickbats. Then you do well. You you have earned your enemies over time. That's right. You collect them, right? Some, yeah. Someone told me a long time ago in politics, um, friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. Yeah, I mean the trick in life is to outlive them. So we're I'm back in Juneau now. This is my first podcast. I'm staying up the hill here. We're outside. So where where, where are we? You guys are letting me use this building again, which I really appreciate. Well, we're at the um, offices here on Fourth Street, right, just down the street from the Capitol for the uh, District One Marine Engineers Beneficial Association, a uh, maritime union that represents people in Alaska. Meba, on, right? Well, MEBA. You know if you. The, the, the folks back in the District of Columbia, they really don't like amoeba. It sounds like some social disease or something. But Like amoebic dysentery or something? Well, let's, you know, this is a family show here, Jeff. Right. So, so um, anyways, um, you guys let me use, use the conference room here, which I really appreciate because otherwise I have to haul this gear all around and it's not exactly easy to, to take it around and do a podcast. So. You know, amoeba is a congenial outfit and they, they like people from the fourth estate, the media, uh, until they don't, and then they're out to get them. But for the most part, you know, if you're an honest journalist, the marine engineers, they're good. And this is a funny little office here. Various people, including uh, Senator Ted Stevens back in the day, he'd prepare for his annual meeting because this is kind of a little hideaway from, from the Capitol. And there weren't I mean, people... it's like, right. I mean, if folks have, don't know where it is, I mean, literally, Caddy Corner, I mean, you can walk to the Capitol in 20 seconds. Right. It's right here. So, you know, Uncle Ted used to come in here and kind of chill out and go over with his notes with his staff and, you know, people leave him alone. So Really? People, sure. And they just li- let him come in here and do, do a little Sure. He, you meeting? know, Ted, Ted Stevens had a long history of understanding the, the maritime trades in the United States of America. And for the most part, he was a champ. Same with Don Young. Well, wasn't his son Ben a captain or like a boat? Ben boat? Stevens is a very good boat driver. Mm-hmm. And, uh you know, I would say Ben Stevens could probably almost blindfolded get into and out of most of the harbors on the Aleutian chain. Wow. Yeah, no, I know he was doing some of those big, you know, deadliest catch type boats, right? Yeah, no, he's the real deal when it comes to running boats. Sometimes he loses his way politically. Maybe, he should, be, maybe he should be doing that instead of no, uh, chief of staff. Let's thing. not rank on Ben Stevens because remember what the I'm alternative involved, was. I'm involved in active litigation with him on uh, a press issue, which, by the way, the federal judge granted. You, you saw that, I think. I know you crushed. You crushed. My, law, my lawyers crushed. I didn't. But I that just, wasn't Ben Stevens. That was some. Some. Well, he's listed. He's a. He's a defendant. I know, but it was really some pencil neck person in the press. Press. press per, yeah, yeah. Communications. Yeah, it person. wasn't Ben. Um, so anyway, so we're here outside me. But now you you you've talked on the podcast before. You've been in Juno a long time. You were an assistant AG at some point. I remember the first time I I came across you was about three years ago. There was a legislative hearing on the alcohol or the 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 distillery kind of issue. 
you love that story. You know, you, well, now you're going to start beating up on not, uh, Dan Sadler. We don't have to Come revisit on. it, but I mean, basically, it was it was you were the way you were talking to Sadler about you know this idiocy of these. What was the word you used for some of these bureaucrats? Well, I, I said the decision to have no music or no card playing in the distilleries. Bonehead or something. Uh, goofball. 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 Yeah, and he took yeah. umbrage to that, and then and then you said uh, some well, some people yeah, used to he, go. He, people, he had a cow. You were saying back in the day, people used to go out and solve their problems in the. The hallway or something. Who was the people you referenced? The oh, uh, Alex just, Miller and Lou Dishner. Yes, yes, but yes. They were good friends, but you know, but you know, you couldn't get in a fist fight with Dan Sadler. He'd he'd start crying. He's, he's the uh, he's the DNR uh, communications guy now. Yeah, and they have such good communications. They you know, <laughs> you know it's a good thing we're rich because Dan Sadler should not be on anybody's payroll. <laughs> so Joe, you're you're not a very uh, you're not very like me shy to give your opinion. So some of the things I wanted to talk about today, we talked about. Um, Ada, which I've actually written a lot about over the last few years. And um, you know a lot about Ada. And for the folks listening, uh, Ada has been around since I think the 80s, right? Alaska Industrial Development Export Authority. Yes. And they were kind of formed, uh, I guess, when the money started coming in. Well, we got to put the money somewhere, right? And Well, I, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the statutory history. But I think the, the, the call for the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority arose from the perceived need that you couldn't get any capital to do these wonderful projects in Alaska and that the, the cheese ball bankers down in Seattle were always shorting us and, you know, it was inhibiting our growth, our ability to become self-reliant. And so, the, the, you know, state sets up this industrial authority and they gave them a wad of cash to invest. And, of course, that's the first mistake anybody makes giving generally speaking, politicians or administrators for state government, money to invest. Mm -hmm. Because the number of people in government who actually know how to invest money in a prudent fashion, you could probably, certainly in Alaska, you could count them on one hand, using the fingers of your hand. It it was designed with the best of intentions. But of course, it didn't work. There's one single case where it worked out pretty well and that was the construction of the DeLong Mountain Road which is the access road to the Red Dog. Don't they kind of yeah they they reference Red Dog maybe don't they reference the the um they they did a, a harbor a dock didn't they in Ketchikan or aren't they involved in the shipyard well, somewhat Jeez you're bringing up sensitive stuff Am I Well they, of course the, the proponents of the Alaska Industrial Development and Export I mean, Authority they always bring up the Red Dog Road. I mean, I can speak because it's the one shining bright right. and, and, and I, example I, that actually worked. When I talk about eight, I, I talk about all the the barley terminals and the grain and all ouch, these ouch. all these things in the eighties and nineties that were that were just Wait, colossal. Don't forget the fish plant and the Anchorage, fish plant the, that's now that's, the mega church. Yes, the the change point. So so I talked to a guy who's a friend of mine. He's retired. He's a banker, and he was saying back in the eighties when he was banking, they used to have a policy where you go to the bank to get a loan for some project. And maybe they wouldn't be able to give you all of it, but but Ada would say, okay, well, we'll co-invest. If the bank wants to give you half, we'll give you half. Or yeah, we'll, we'll give you top half. up. So basically, they say in that case, the bank's doing the fiduciary because the bank's not going to give you know bad money, dump money for a bad loan. So maybe it wasn't fifty. Oh, wait, maybe wait, maybe wait, it was wait, like twenty percent or thirty. percent Remember Bank of the North, you know, yeah, run by look, Frank Murkowski. Yeah. There's a lot of people who went sure, down the ba- toilet. Yes, banks. That. I'm not saying every bank's perfect, but I'm saying the the idea was if most of these banks are going to give the money. 
you know, they aren't looking to just, it's not, it's yeah, not their money. They probably did some due diligence so based on real market analysis. And, you know, they, they have nodding familiarity with the return on investment. And, and then that stopped happening at some point. And then, you know, my, my, my kind of exposure to ADA was a couple of years ago. Uh, the, the first one was this Clark Penny sole source contract, um, which was given to him through, you know, through. You, know, you were, a, you know, for such a seemingly nice, cheerful guy, you were a cruel man. You're bringing up Clark Penny. What's next? You're going to be well, talking about the. The, the road up in the Ambler Mining District for the uh, for some Canadian firm. Well, no. What's what's next is is the tip I got on um, three of the board members of Ada, and then one employee who got four hundred thousand dollars in federal CARES Act grants that Ada was administering. You know, well, and, they, and they applied days before the program was set to end, and and them or their families all all got you know you know hundreds thousand dollar grants or eighty thousand dollar grants for these, which is fine, but a lot of folks who who, who needed the money weren't able to get anything. Well, but then these connected people were able to get, you know, a lot. Well, are you saying that's wrong? Yes, I'm yeah, absolutely. Well, now this Mr. Landfield, this is contemporary Alaska. If you don't have your friends and pals and chums in government doing you sweet deals, what good is government? So so is is it worse now or better now than it was cuz you've been around since the 80s, right? Yeah. So back then there was a lot of money floating around. I mean, is it is it is there more accountability now? Has it always been this way? Was it worse back then? Because I, I can point to a lot of stories, but... Well, there's a general sense among the old dogs, men and women, who have been around and observing things, that there's there still is an overt corruption in Alaska. Not much, anyway. I mean, occasionally people go to, you know, they get indicted or something. But, you know, the the, the real difference between the 60s and 70s, where you had a number of people who entered public service with some actual skills that they had developed over time, some through the military, some through just when when government was really lean and every dollar mattered. But when, when the oil revenues come in, like the proverbial ship comes in, um, we started losing our way. And you couple that with people with sort of a lack of experience and expertise Pretty soon, everybody thought, well, this is just like monopoly money, and you pass it out, and, and that's a slippery slope, so pretty soon, and your, your chums, your pals, your friends are on the inside. And of well, course, the, w- what's happening with ADA now, it has been truly converted into a political slush fund run by political hacks. And, 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 and to, be, to be fair, that's whoever's in power at the time. I mean, bo- I think both oh, yeah. Democrat, I mean, Bill, Democrats, Bill, Republicans, whoever happens to be governor and gets, gets, and gets their hands on who's, who's on the board and who runs it. They, sure. they can do whatever. Sure. Bill Walker probably would have used data to, you know, borrow a trillion dollars to build a gas line that wasn't <laughs> going to move any gas. Uh, I mean, I mean, the whole thing was. So, so, so I want to talk about ADA more, but I just, if, to me, that feels like a sense. And I've, I've said this to a lot of people and I mean, I'm, I'm very aware of our fiscal situation. I'm, I'm aware of the deficit. I'm aware of our savings accounts being depleted. I'm, I'm aware of all these pr- structural de- deficit and, and fiscal problems. But it's like there's always fucking money for somebody's buddy for like $100,000. It's like there's always money for some contract or for something or for some somebody gets a job. I mean, there's always well, money for that. Well, you seem we shocked. Have, we have all these fiscal You're problems. You're shocked. Is that wrong? But there's always like a hundred grand for somebody or 500 grand for somebody or a million dollars for somebody. It just... it. Sure. Well, this is what happens when you go from kind of a small, lean government that's responsive and responsible and doesn't have very many resources, so every penny matters. And this is back before oil. I mean, the, the budget, the budget before they did the first lease sale, I read this Extreme Conditions book by John Stromer. This is one of the big takeaways. The budget that year was $100 million. 
back in 60, whatever it was, 60 something, the year of the lease sale, right. $900 million came in when there was a budget of a hundred million dollars. Right. I mean, I mean, shit, that, that, that's like right now we have what? Three, three billion. I mean, four, five billion, four billion coming in between, you know, the permanent fund and everything yeah. else that, that divide that by inflation. And, you know, you can see how stupendously large that was. So I, I really wish you could dial up Lou Dishner. I mean, I mean, that, that's like us just getting $36 billion. Right. And here you go. Here's, we sold some stuff. Here's, so here's 36 what you billion. gotta do. And, and I, I'll get you this article and you need to put it on your uh, website. So your readers and people who visit your site can do it. But Lewis Lapham, Remember, you know who Lewis Lapham is? Mm, no. Okay, he... I know Lou Dishner. Well, Lewis Lapham is now older than dirt, and he's written for The Atlantic, and you know he's, he's a good journalist with a keen eye. You know, and he's spent time around the world and everything. But as a young man, Lewis Lapham is up here in Alaska trying to take the pulse, you know, the last frontier. They, they've hit oil and everything. He's down at the Baron off with people like... Clem Tillian, who, you know, Tillian's the president of the Senate. He's down there with Jay Who I did a podcast with and here with Clem Tillian. That's right. And, you know, but I'm fortunate. I got to listen to some of the stories from Tillian and Lou Dishner and stuff like that. And one of, one of the great stories, Lou Dishner, who was a union guy, you know, ran the Carpenters, you know, was instrumental in setting up the North Slope Borough. Dishner is talking about when, the, when all that money came in and they went up to the first big year. And he said, you got to save some of it. And people said, Why? Why? We've all these Mets. You know, we need roads. You know, we need jobs. We need roads. And he says, I know about jobs. He says, you know what we need to do? Save it. And they, they couldn't believe it. And he said, look, it's real simple. If you don't save it, you're just going to piss it away. And that's largely what happened. And so Ada is in that tradition. But it's not just Ada. And so, you know, during Hammond, they, they set up, they were going to do this heaven investment fund, the, uh, what was it called? The Alaska Renewable Resources Corporation. And it was sort of a venture capital idea. It was a, it was a really a, quite an innovative idea. Uh, they gave them like $50 million or something. And, uh, you know, they invested in things like that. Alaska or Alaska Candy Company. Um, what the hell? Is that? A, <laughs> What's that about? Like, <laughs> well, there was, they were going to make... That's like the fish plant guy, right? With the, the, but, he's going to make a, these a great fish. A few of them penciled out. But then there was like the, the Ball Brothers fish, and they were going to fly fish in DC-3s you know, off the beach and bring it into the Kenai Peninsula because some politician in the Kenai, you know, the, the fish had been failing in Cook Inlet. And so we're going to bring fish to process to keep the workers in the Kenai Peninsula hmm. going. And of course, you know, that created... Was, was, was this, uh, probably this was before that, the Dome City thing, remember? The, was oh, that well, Gravel? No, that's was my, that Gravel? Yeah, that was Gravel. The, the, do, the Dome City? Yeah. <laughs> what was that about? Just well, it was building the, a fucking big dome in Fairbanks. No, it was the first cousin of the, of the dumb city. You know, they were going to have the dome, the dumb dumb city. You know, but I don't know. You know, my my Gravel, who just ran for president in this last cycle, right? No, actually, I actually talked to him. I was supposed to last year go to California and do a podcast. With He's him. a witty I, guy. I didn't go because of the COVID thing. It was in March and. uh we still keep in touch a little bit, and he, he's nineties now, and he's he's yeah, still but, but with the, it. The Dome City, you know, he had a, he had one too many martinis, and thought, you know, what, we'll, we'll just put a big Teflon dome over some. What, what about this one that I that I actually when I first heard about it, I thought it was so stupid, but now it's actually, um, I think it probably in some ways makes sense. Remember the Hickle, the water pipeline. You know, people to California. Laughed at, yeah, people. That, that actually, they need water. We got a lot of it, and you, you, if the if the pipeline breaks, who cares? Is water? Well, right. I mean, your listeners, they, they listen here, which is probably a good thing because I have a face made for radio. Um, I've been told that too. 
you know, we're sitting here drinking in the Marine Engineers Beneficial Association conference room. Nice, 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 na- nice name a, drop. Yeah, water of a plastic cup. The price of this water is more than fuel. You know, gasoline, refined. You know, this is just water that Kirkland put into a plastic bottle. So, you know, what's my point? Walter J. Hickel, people always would laugh at Wally, you know, all the swells, the libs. You know, that, oh, there's Walter. He's got the little man on his shoulder telling him what to do and everything. Well, at least Walter J. Hickel had a conscience. Built a fucking nice hotel. Well, it's the place to stay, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's great. I love it. Either that or the Wayward Hilton. <laughs> so, yeah, Walter, Walter Hickel was onto something. And, uh, of course, California's burning up half the time. And uh, the price of water, you know, on the retail level is more, more expensive than was, gasoline. Was that, was that ever seriously explored or was that just like something he said? Well, one of Walter J. Hickel's. That should have been like an Ada project. You know, if, if anything for Ada, why didn't they do the water pipeline? Well, you have to realize a lot of people swirling around government, whether they're Ada or the consultants and everything, they don't really care about the project. <laughs> they just want to get their commissioner, you know, to get their take on studying it. You know, and they take it down here, they bind it up with a color picture on it. And, you know, Walter J. says, what the hell's going on here? And they said, oh, yeah, we got it under control, boss, and everything. But, but it was probably it excessive reach uh, yeah, at the, the time. The other one he talked about was the uh, under, underground tunnel to Russia. The Siberian tunnel. Yeah, well, he had had too much carrot juice when he... Uh, I, mean, but that, but, I mean, that was one that he talked about, too, that I... That listen, I, you look back now, and it's easy we to used, make we used to have We used to have big thinkers. I mean, now it's like no one says really anything big. I mean, it's more like, well, let's just fucking vote on a budget. Let's go, go home, whatever. Well, we'll get there. No, look, you've still got people... Um, working hard to try to solve the fiscal problem. Uh, in some ways, you know, like Mike Schauer, Shelley Hughes, they, they are deeply committed to putting the permanent fund dividend, a formula that works for Alaskans, into the Constitution. Uh, whether they can get 15 uh, people in the Senate to come up with a reasonable resolution that protects the permanent know, fund. I don't even know if they can get 11 to pass a budget. So. <laughs> oh, sure they can, because you, you have to have a budget. Uh, and they will, and they'll, if nothing else, it'll be sort of brute force analysis. The big problem we have right now is the House is not organized and not looking like it will organize. The other thing is there's sort of an old rule of thumb around Juno, and it would be true even if it was the capital was in Willow or Palmer or, you know, Euclutna or whatever. If you've got one branch of the government and the governor kind of aligned, they usually can have their way with the other branch. Or if you have both branches of the legislature aligned, they can usually come to agreement with the governor, even though the governor has a very strong hand in formulating the budget because of his veto power and the way our Constitution set up. But what, what we have right now is a governor who has, I mean, we, we would take a separate show to do a report card on Governor oh. Dunleavy, but the most charitable thing people are saying about Governor Dunleavy is he's over-promising and under-delivering and not concentrating his efforts on what can be achieved. So he's got, you know, myriad constitutional amendment proposals floating out. You know, he, sometimes he talks about cutting and consolidating, but then the next thing you know, he's like breaking in departments and creating more bureaucracy. So oh, yeah, we, we just he needs start, we to just, focus. He needs to concentrate. I just started separate from the landmine. We started this Alaska political report, which is a kind of like a budget breakdown of, you know, all these different things in government. And you start digging down and really analyzing these budgets. And there's all kinds of stuff happening that 
the, the, you know, when you start to review like these plans to do bonding with AHFC and you know, hundred million dollars of that would, would, would go away from the general fund contributions to, to pay for these bonds. Well, there's some evidence that the governor who had an epic failure in terms of cutting and consolidating uh, and felt rebuffed. Well, the department, the department of administration is also doing all kinds of where they're moving around IT and shared services and they're proposing some new brand new IT department for I think $8 million. And I mean, they're trying to do all these movements all over the place and, Maybe, maybe maybe that's a good idea, but I mean it's really not being expressed very. Uh, artic- it's not being articulated very well. No, but remember, Governor Dunleavy ran a really quite a good campaign, and it resonated with plenty of Alaskans. And he was swept into office. Well, I think a lot of people um, wanted a big dividend check, and then also Walker and Begich were fighting each other the whole summer. Well, Walker was like a dead man walking. He was not really a factor, but. But the, but before no, you the, have to give Governor Mike Dunleavy credit for running a campaign that resonated with Alaskans. Now, whether you know my my Democratic friends say, "Oh, he was just trying to bribe people." Well, he wasn't trying to bribe people. He promised them what they thought they could get, mm-hmm. what they deserved, what they they expected, and that he couldn't deliver. And he also promised big cuts and big consolidations, and. Largely well, because of Tuckerman Babcock. To be, to be I fair, mean, he, he, never, his, he, never really he got talked, his ass handed. He to never him. really talked about cuts during the campaign. I mean, that was no, that was he, not much. There his was a body very language broad, was all about cuts, but then he was not specific. But it was, very was, bro- a very, it was it was a very clever campaign. Very it was broad, a good campaign. Yes, it was. It was not. There was. There was. He didn't run on. We're going to reduce spending by you know billion dollar. We're going to move all these. I mean, I actually think you're right. I mean, he seized on a moment. My my, my, my issue with with him personally has been. People like Tucker and other folks he's brought brought in around him, who they empowers to do some pretty shitty things. Some of the people in the you know administration and some some of the people in the cabinet, and it's like the the, the ones I think that some of the best voices, Corey Feige, Commissioner Feige, or John McKinnon, or Nancy Dawson. You never hear from those people. You just hear from the kind of the 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 people that are like out well, there doing kind of crazy things, and, and it hurts him. Oh, you, know, you make an excellent point, and Commissioner Feige. Oh, she's great. She's probably one of the best people he, he got appointed. You know, if again, well, separate show, and you should have some other voices on here, but, you know, Commissioner Feige probably gets a B-plus or an A. Oh, she's great, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dahlstrom gets at least a B because she just does her job, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's you know, history. You know, John McKinnon, you don't hear much from him because he's not doing that much. <laughs> you know, John's never been a guy who... Breaks well, I mean, his sweat, he, he, but, he, but he you know, at least he doesn't he, get into he's trouble. He's competent. He knows what he's doing. He, he he knows how to. He has a lot of experience in, in the construction industry. He knows enough not to become an embarrassment to the governor. But you know, whether he's doing anything or not, whether he's accomplishing anything or not, is a separate question. But you know, you got to give him credit for not the big stinkeroo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, mean, I got to I mean, tell you, Commissioner Crum is actually. He gets at least a B and maybe even well, an A minus. He yesterday, I don't know if you saw the health social service or the judiciary committee where they Senator Reinbold dragged him in to give you know, basically on a talk about the COVID stuff and the judiciary committee. There's no bills before regarding COVID. It was kinda of, but he just kinda of killed it and he just talked for the whole time until, well, and, until the and, committee was over. <laughs> and that's you know, I mean the whole thing with s- splitting up, you know, health and social services, you know, whoever's idea was that that's like an F and should be, you know, why don't you take a position in the often discussed but infrequently reached private sector. But, you know, if you look at Crum, the, the single biggest issue facing all of us as Alaska here is is the COVID-19 pandemic. And you got to give him 
at least an A minus for that. And and Dr. Anzang. Oh yeah, both of them have been yeah, they've been really good. Right. So you know, other aspects of the department he's tasked with running on behalf of the public, you know, jury's still out. I I would say the 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 most vocal person he's appointed is uh, Chewbacca Chewy, who who I she calls herself that you know Chewbacca Chewy. Anyways, um. She is 100% planning to run for something. Maybe it's the U.S. Senate against Murkowski. Maybe it's maybe it's the House. Maybe who knows? But she's def- that's what she's planning on doing, and she's using this kind of position to promote herself to the no, public. Not yet. 100%. What's the evidentiary basis for that statement? Everything she does. Every every all the things she everything she does. Yes. What, what are you a QAnon very guy? Calcul- yes, very very calculated. Everything. You're speaking speak, in speak, horrible speak, generality. Speaks at the events. She's be- very calculated. Uh, the the her social media presence, the thing she's definitely teeing up to run for some bigger office, you know, and 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 that 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 you shouldn't. If you hire me, I don't I don't use that position to promote promote myself. I use it to do your you know do your work or work for you. Well, if that's true, and I have no reason to think that's true, she wouldn't be the first outside personality is fooling around in politics. Um, no, but I'm just saying that she ends up being kind of the most vo- vocal out, you know, person in his cabinet that is, you know, doing a lot of administration departments, doing a lot of odd things. And she um, gets kind of, he gets tagged with that. Okay. So what are you going to give her a C on the, on the, on the I don't know. Yeah. She, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, you're, you're the one giving the grades. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, and then you get over to DEC. I mean, that's a, that's a, F minus to the point where that's they my should guy, Jason Bruni. Yeah, Jason Bruni. They should that's just my guy. admit defeat and they should just say DEC really is the Department of Environmental Conversation. And why don't we just fold it into DNR and be done with it? Just take it out behind the barn, shoot it. Then we, then we got your your um your commerce. That's the ADA. They're they're kind of affiliated with ADA a little bit, aren't they? Yeah, that's uh, Julie Anderson. Commerce and Economic Misdevelopment. Now she was there before, wasn't she? I, you know, I think I she was Michael Johnson too. Education. He was there. With well, Walker, he, he's a holdover. I think there's a lot of floaters that, in Alaska government. You know, it doesn't matter how many times you flush, they float around in the water. So. <laughs> so going back to Ada, um, I think you probably have strong opinions, I'm guessing, on the uh, Anwar lease sales. Actually, uh, my sentiments about the uh, Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority have nothing to do with the uh, Arctic National Wildlife Refuge leases. I mean, it was a dumb play, but it was only... $12 million dumb, and theoretically... Only you know, 12 we'll get Only 15 six, million. <laughs> well, we'll get six... Well, we're not talking about long money here. You know, you want long money? Look at the Mustang thing. Oh, Whoa, yeah, $70 yeah. million, dollars, and now we'll manage the sale. Maybe we'll get a nickel on the dollar. I, I wrote about that Mach 1 thing and, and that money a couple a couple years ago, and that was another debacle. Yeah, warning, 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 warning. For the listeners, that's just a pad up on the North Slope they invested money in, and um, what's what's the company? Um, uh, Brooks Range. There was this issue with... They were supposed to produce oil a year, fucking a decade ago. They never have, or they just started. Yeah, now that was... one's not on Big Mike. That one is. No, on... no, I, I know it's not. But yeah, it's, that it's, one's it's on Bill Walker. Correct, but it's an Ada thing. Right. Yeah. Well, like I said, it, and I'll I'll give you an offer proof here. It goes back to my I previous mean, it's, point it's about. It's become a politi- It was always a dubious proposition. It was always susceptible to fiddling around with. And in fact, it has. It has become a political slush fund run by political Which, hacks. My previous point was that it doesn't matter who's a governor. Whoever's a governor can use it for their own kind of thing. Sure. And, you know, one of the things I think about Ada, I'm, I'm scrolling back in my memory. 
you know, Sean Parnell, who's a forgotten guy in Alaska, because he was kind of an accidental governor. You know, he's mm-hmm. after... Uh, um, Palin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Palin. Where is she live in Arizona now? Mm, she's been doing uh, these cameo videos from her place in Wasilla, so she's still around. I think she sold the Arizona house, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Well, maybe she's that... living in Wasilla, looks like she's doing these little funny videos. Some of them are kind of pretty bizarre. Yeah, well, one of them was like, you know... She, she's on cameo. I actually paid her to do a cameo video and wish Alaskans a, so yeah, anyway, a Merry she, Christmas. She got smitten with the, the national things and leaves Sean Parnell, you know, mind in the store. And, you know, looking back, I, I'm sort of nostalgic for Parnell because, you know, he didn't have the kind of chops to be a, a politician on the campaign trail. He was, but he was an accidental governor. And the but, thing but, that but, was but, a good, but, he was a technically, he was a technocrat and he, he was kind of a serious guy. And, you know, like Ada wasn't running wild and engaging in these goofball things like they are with Governor Dunley. Running but, fast and loose. Well, or Bill Walker <laughs> or, you know, you know, who, who was responsible, who was a, had the con when they did the, uh, the, the seafood place in Anchorage. That's now the oh, mega that, church. Yeah, that was probably under probably, what was that? I don't know. That was probably Murkowski maybe, or I don't know. Who yeah. Frank, the bank, you know, there's yeah. a guy, a failed banker, you know, <laughs> the, the world's luckiest Senator, you know, when the Democrats implode, they, they, we got Mike going back to Gravel. So, so, so that, that, that was, that's fast. Cause I did my research on Gravel and he beat Ernest Greening in that weird primary in 68. No, 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 no. Yes, he did. No, no, no. That's how he first got in there. Mike Gravel in '68 beat Ernest Greening. Oh, er- Ernest Greening, and yeah. then and then two his tw- twelve years later, um, uh, his grandson uh, Clark. Clark Greening beat Gravel in the primary. And the Republicans were all pumping up Clark because they knew he'd be easier to beat by Murkowski. Well, that's when the Republicans than Gra- were smart. Then Gravel, yes, and then and then Murkowski beat Gre- Clark Green, uh, Gre- Ernest Greening's grandson. Grandson, right? Yeah, that's exactly. So, yeah, I'm glad you remember. So Ernest Greening was the uh, territorial governor mm-hmm. appointed and, by and he was, he Franklin was, Delano Roosevelt. He was quite a progressive, wasn't he, older? <laughs> well, he was, sure, he's an East Coast guy. He was, a, you know, a member of the Jewish faith, comes out to Alaska as an appointment of Franklin Delano Roosevelt during the New Deal and was a pretty good governor. You know, I mean, this was a pretty rough and tumble. He actually went, I'm, I'm like 99% sure, uh, Franklin Roosevelt in 1944 is up in Alaska, came here on the um, cruiser Portland after he'd had a meeting in uh, Pearl Harbor with uh, Chester Nimitz and uh, Douglas MacArthur and the senior command about the final prosecution Mm -hmm. of World War II. And, you know, Roosevelt, who was a former assistant secretary of the Navy, loved traveling on ships. And his doctor, I mean, he's in terrible physical shape. And they said, you got to take some time off from the war. So the cruiser slings him all the way over to southeast Alaska and they get it off in Juneau, and of course the governor is Ernst Greening, as I've heard this story. And they actually went fishing out on the breadline because Roosevelt loved going fishing, and he had a day off from the war while he was in Juneau. And then I think they put him on a destroyer and they whipped whipped him down to um, Puget Sound, and then he was back to D.C. Well, I never heard that story. So it's, is that like documented anywhere? Or? You know, I've looked up, and most of that has been confirmed by the. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt's library in Hyde Park, New York, because I actually asked him. I was there a couple years ago. And we didn't pin down whether they actually went fishing at the breadline, but we know they went fishing offshore, and if and they came in to Auk Bay. Uh, so the odds are they went fishing, and the greening cabin was out there by, um, what is that, Amalga Harbor. Mm-hmm. And, and so the supposition, that part's supposition, that they went fishing on the breadline, but it, they went fishing out there somewhere. Uh, there's bird and cogwin on it. Anyway, 
Um, I, I so greening, par- greening gets par- bumped off by Gravel, who was a snappy guy from New Jersey. He did this video, this whole video he put out, this whole thirty-minute doc bi- like biopic about his life, and he sent it all over to the villages. That's what, that's what um, Gravel did. Yeah, and so- he, he was not supposed to win that that race in '68 against Greening. He was like a new. He was a speaker. He came up from East Coast. He ran for all. He wanted. He admitted he wanted to move here to get involved in politics. It was kind of a good place to go. Oh sure, and that's for, like Ted Stevens came up here consciously to to get involved. You know, it was an obvious area where you might have a shot at getting into the United States Senate. I mean, I think Ted Stevens was a not just a smart guy. You know, he was cunning, and he figured, why not? Um, you could, you know, get Ben Stevens on on the show or something, and and ask him. Not sure Ben's going to be uh, lining up to get on the show, but I, I'd I'd love to do it. Well, Ben wouldn't take that personally. Just the fact that you're suing him. I mean, just just blame it on your. Lawyer. I, I don't Jeff. think it's even a lot. I think it's probably beyond. But I don't know. I'd love to do it with him. I'd, I'd, I'd be great to do a podcast with. Ben's him. a good, you know, Ben, ben is Stevens. a good storyteller. He's he's a good hockey player. He's kind of chippy. And, oh, no, uh, he he refs too. I think in Anchorage, he's a ref. Yeah, I've I've hockey. actually refed Ted uh, Ben Stevens and. He's a hard guy to catch, and you know, you know, as soon as you turn your head, you hear that whack, which is the stick on plastic, and mm-hmm. you just know he slashed something. He's not a vicious slasher, but he, you know, <laughs> he'll slash down low on the leg just to get space. He's kind of a little guy, but he, you know, he carves out space. Right? Anyway, I like him as a hockey player. So anyway, Gravel, his money all came from the petrochemical industry. That's why he was always pimping for, you know, Al Petco and some of these goofball <laughs> things. No, seriously, his money came from the oil and gas, especially the chemical side. Yeah. He was a New Jersey boy. So, but, but you fast forward to the Democrats implode. Frank Murkowski had been wandering around, you know, after the bank implodes, and he didn't know what to do. And Frank had been a commissioner of commerce way back in the day. And Frank throws his name in to be U.S. senator, and everybody kind of laughs. You know, how are you going to beat Mike Gravel? Well, Frank lucks out and the democrats you know blow up a thing they they turn their back on an incumbent united states senator and they elect uh ernst greetings grandson clark in the primary yeah in the primary so then it's an open seat so gravel for sure probably would have won that race against murkowski right um hard to say but but he would have had a better chance much better chance you'd say so and what year is that 80 1980 who was the top of the ticket uh reagan Ronald Reagan, which way did Alaska go? Republican. And that makes Frank Murkowski living proof that it's better to be lucky than good. Mm-hmm. I think the last time we went, I was looking this up, I think, was it Johnson or Kennedy? We went Democrat. Um, it was a long time ago. Well, we, I think we did go for Kennedy. But remember, that was those are Bill, was, e- Bill Egan guys. Yeah, but that, but that was pre-oil you know, oil and pre-all the te- Texans and... Uh, Oklahoma's moving up here. I mean, Alaska. It's funny. I was talking to some. People. I was in Hawaii last month, and Hawaii used to be very Republican, and Alaska used to be very Democratic. And then that was kind of you know people saw that as how it's going to go for the you know the Congress, but that switched. It, it inverted. I mean, now Alaska's uh, you know not a very but Alaska's gone Republican, right? And then Hawaii's gone you know, went Democrat. Kind of, kind of switched. Right. And I actually, think we went Republican because after the pipeline, all these Texans and people Oklahoma and all these folks moved up here, and a lot of them stayed and. And an impact on you know who was voting. Well, that's part of it, but, but I mean the other part you can't overestimate how what used to be conservative Democrats, people who had served in the military, people who weren't convinced that Vietnam was you know the worst thing that had ever happened, that that 
really were offended by people burning the flag mm-hmm. uh, and a whole bunch of, you know, 10 typically young people who were running around and taking over the Democratic Party. They, uh, the whole ad hoc movement, they really, and a lot of that was organized labor people. Uh, Lou Dishner was, I think, a Democrat to, to his dying day. But, you know, all of a sudden, the, the old line Democrats who had been there and maintained the party they're getting elbowed out by a bunch of young people, you know, who had big social it's, it's, agendas. It's kind of like now. Was identity going on with politics. The, the party. Was, before identity politics was a, um, a term. It was in the 60s and 70s. And, yeah, you know. and they were, they were viewed as radical environmentalists, which, you know, was during that time when people were getting concerned about not just building the pipeline, but what are you going to do with all the empty drums and the, stuff like that? The long hairs, they called them around. Well, hippies is was. I mean, that's not so much different than what's going on now. I mean, you got Democrats like Biden, who's a pretty moderate guy, but now he's got he's very kind of Bernie type or very progressive people who want to do all these things with the party, and he's kind of he's jammed up. If he doesn't do what they want, then well, they're going to right. go after him. You know, and you read some of the blogs around Alaska, and you think Joe Biden is like the second coming of Che Guevara. Yeah, I know it's. I mean, it's, he's not. He's not nothing like that. I mean, yeah, I've taken. I've been on a few blogs, and you know. The, People are always doing fake news, fake news. I've been putting fake analysis, fake analysis. Mm-hmm. And of course, that usually leads to an incredibly rich and wonderful conversation. Um, you know, the response when you point out the obvious, that it, there's no analysis there. They basically come back with some sweeping statement like, your mother wears combat boots or something, you know. I just read this book from a book club I started like a few months ago called The Righteous Mind. And a lot of it talks about how, we, you know, we historically for the whole human kind, you know, written word, whatever it's people want to use reason and like read you know, Greek Roman philosophers, all the Hume, mm. all the, we use written and his thing is, well, re- reason's really more or less used. We, we reason our way to, to justify our, our own position, our own belief. That's how most people, you know, operate. You know, you, 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 most people don't really listen to the other side. They, they look for ways to justify their own thoughts or their own, their own beliefs. Well, you can, that's a very cynical view, but I will tell you this. I have negotiated a number of deals, um, and I'm working with people like Clem Tillian and Juanita Caselas and other people right now, Jack Hickel, trying to find, and people in the legislature, Mike Schauer, uh, Bill Wilikowski, Scott Kawasaki. Um, I've certainly talked to Shelley Hughes. Um, we are trying to find a deal like on the permanent fund. You tried to make a deal with me, remember? <laughs> well, you're a tough negotiator. Uh, so, uh, but, but the key to any good deal that lasts a long time and benefits everybody uh, is to actually listen and truly listen. So one of the things that's obvious on the permanent fund and the permanent fund dividend, you have to take everyone's concerns and issues and their points into account. Um, and that includes people that are very difficult to deal with, like uh, Senator Reinbold or Representative Eastman. That takes people who have a almost set and concrete position that you can't change it, uh, like maybe Representative Hannon here, because she's from a very liberal district and you know she knows her constituents. But but when you get a feel for all of those points. It's not a mechanistic process or a, or a mathematical equation, but you start looking for, are there common denominators here? 
Are there enough common denominators that we can patch together a deal? And all good deal makers realize if you get to the point where you've satisfied 80% of all the outstanding issues, boy, you should start wrapping up the deal because well, you'll never get to 100%. The thing is, you're right, but it also has to do with um, the, the caliber of the person and the, and, and kind of the person, who they are as a, you know, their character. And a lot of times people can't figure out why somebody doesn't want to work with them because, you know, they treat them like shit and, and they badmouth them and, and they're horrible to them. And then they wonder, why won't this person work with me? Why, why won't this person, you know, make it, make a deal with me? Well, well they, they, cause they don't realize, you know, the, the people treat them bad. And that's a big part of the problem in that building over there is a lot of people go around and they, and they publicly badmouth their colleagues and then they wonder why they don't help them. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and it's like beyond me that people aren't don't understand that. Well, your listeners and most people who have been around, everyone has their own definition of what constitutes a kind of a rounded human being. Me, I'll just sum it up and say, when I'm in negotiations, the first thing you do is say, am I dealing with an adult? Yes or no? <laughs> and... If you're dealing with an adult, however you define that, you usually can find some common ground. And adult and somebody who, who you can tr- trust to keep their word. Well, trust is part of being an adult. I mean, that's, you, that's you know, true. I, that's true. You know, if you want to be corny, you can just look at you know what are the, you know, the principles that you operate under. Um, you know, is a person trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent? I mean, to use the the old Boy Scout mantra. Yeah. So. A lot of good words. Well, what are those, 10 or 12? I mean, if you get somebody with six in the legislature, man, you've, that's probably an adult. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to hit all of them. But, um, you know, who are the adults in the Alaska legislature right now? There are some. But there's probably insufficient mass of adults, maybe, in the House, possibly, to well, get I mean, an organization. I mean, you, you have 40 people in the House— who've all been elected and it's been, you know, two weeks and almost two weeks and they, and they can't, they've, they've had a couple times to vote for a speaker pro tem, not even a real speaker, just a temporary speaker. And they can't get to that. They've, they've failed twice or three times to vote for somebody. And the person they're voting against right now, Bart LeBon, Representative LeBon was part of the previous house majority coalition. Now he's basically signaled and indicated he's now with the Republicans. So I don't necessarily blame them for not jumping to get him elected because the Democrats and the independents, because now he's kind of not with them anymore. But bottom line is you have 40 people that are all technically adults, you know, and they can't, they can't even organize themselves to figure, to figure out, to deal with these major fucking problems we have. And it's pretty sad to see. I mean, I, I was there today when they, after they were in for five minutes or six minutes before they, and they couldn't get anybody a couple of days ago, nobody was even nominated today. It was Lebon again. It was 2020. And they just walk out and they just, they just look, some of them look so happy and some of them just look confused, but it's like, it's, it's, it's a sad sight, really. Well, of course it's sad because they're not doing the people's business. They were elected to conduct the business of our state on behalf of the citizens. And there's only one thing they absolutely have to do, and that's adopt a budget. You know, they're working their way into a situation. I, I'm not sure the Senate is nimble enough to figure this out. Um, and they're not getting any help from the governor here, who's kind of AWOL. Um, I mean, he's doing a state of the state. It's Thursday here where he's yeah, going Yeah, and he's the, phoning in it in. He's phoning an it hour, in. An hour, and he's, yeah, he's, he's doing it from his office in, in Anchorage. Yeah, how sad is that? I mean, okay, COVID, all right, fine. At least do it in Juneau. 
be be here, you know. That's a separate thing. I want to go back well, to okay, I want to go back to Parnell real quick right, because well, you said he problem. was this great governor, and, and I don't think he was a, necessarily a bad governor. But my issue with him was the largest budget in state history in 2013, nine almost 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 eight billion dollars capital that was just operating. Yeah, they had there, a billion there, dollar there, billion there dollar capital, two billion dollar capital. I mean, it was big, big. Um, there was like six billion dollar operating and like two billion dollar capital. Right? It was huge. It was like eight billion dollars. It was a stunner. He didn't veto one fucking dollar. To me, that's crazy because. At that time, they were even aware of, of, of the deficit was starting to you know happen. No, I wasn't saying Sean Parnell was the greatest governor ever. He, But he was technically, if you asked Sean Parnell, where was post-secondary education housed? Or, you know, this division or that, he was... Well, because he was he, in the legislature, yeah. No, because he... Well, he would know a lot of that. He, was he, he knew that, but he also knew committee. he paid attention to kind of a lot of the granular stuff. He had the potential to be a good ad- administrator... But in some ways, he didn't have maybe the vision that Jay Hammond did or the drive that Bill Egan have, or even, you know, Bill Sheffield had the drive. But Sean Parnell was almost the right person at the right time. But, I, I, but he didn't he didn't connect. He, would, he didn't connect with the public. He couldn't express a vision, and maybe he didn't have one. But, you know, I, I'm actually nostalgic looking at Mike Dunleavy and, frankly, Bill Walker at, at Sean Parnell. Um, well, I, Sean I, Parnell would have a better chance of working our government, the government that belongs to the citizens of Alaska, out of the extraordinarily difficult fiscal surfaces than Mike Dunleavy. Mike Dunleavy is basically, just throws out a few platitudes and then is phoning it in. Yeah. I mean, it's bad. So, so I had an interesting conversation a couple of days ago with somebody about, because um, there's several folks in the legislature right now who are, I think, posturing to be, you know, the next congressman or maybe, the, you know, they run, run for the higher office. You're obsessed with this running for office. No, I, have I, you ever considered running for office? Yeah, well, I mean, we can talk. Yeah, of course. Sure. And we can talk about that. Well, why we, would we, you we want to a, do that? Why would you want to ruin your life that's a getting elected? Great question. That's you know, a, why would you were talking about the commissioner of administration? She wants to be. Because, I mean, some people. Well, see, why I, would she ruin her life? Well, I think some some people, uh, I, I don't think they consider ruining their life. They They, they consider that to be a very prestigious thing i mean some of these legislators you see them i mean it's the greatest thing for them i mean it's like that's people open the door for you and oh senator oh and you know they kiss your ass i mean that's some people like i don't care about that at all it doesn't matter to me um i think the state's got big problems and i i care about getting people to you know get together to, to work on them but what i was going to say was i was talking to there, there are several folks in that building that you know have higher ambitions for office but think about this uh, and someone pointed this out to me. We had a long conversation. The legislature is actually not a place to be to get elected to a statewide office. Now think about it. Dunleavy got elected. He when he was in the legislature, he was he did very little of consequence. He was on some committees. He voted against the budget. He he was kind of this outsider guy, right? Mm-hmm. Walker wasn't in legislature. Dan Sullivan said he wasn't in legislature. Parnell got lucky because Palin quit, right? Palin wasn't in the legislature. Yeah, but you Murkowski remember Sean Parnell got reelected on his own. He, because, he, he did. He did because be, the Democrats once again commit political suicide and nominate Dwarfo the Magnificent. Right, he did. He did. But I mean, he was that was he, she quit in a way. He had it was he was just kind of the guy to he, he yeah, assumed he, he was, assumed he, it. he was like Keith Miller. He rounded out Walter J's and then he didn't win. You know, um, with Walker in fourteen. But I'm saying no. But he did win on his own because the Democrats put up a candidate that was incapable of getting. 50% plus one of the vote for governor. But just to, just to follow up with that, and, and that's a fair point, but 
you know, Bill wasn't, Walker wasn't legislature, Dan Sullivan wasn't. I mean, Murkowski got appointed by her dad. She was in legislature. She was appointed. Um, you know, Murkowski wasn't in the legislature. Frank Murkowski. Uh, Knowles well, wasn't in the legislature. Don Young lost to a dead man. You know, so so I just, it's just interesting that a lot of these folks who, who are in the legislature that have these higher ambitions, I, I don't think the legislature is necessarily the vehicle for a place, if you look at history, to, to, to become a governor or a senator. I mean, the people that have done it are kind of outliers or there's a very specific thing that happened. Well, you know, you can handicap how to get into the office and everything else, but, you know, the, the, the real overarching question is, wh- where is the talent that will serve our state well, you know, who has the kind of adult well, here, skill sets to deal with the fine? I mean, here, goodness gracious, we have a, a roughly $6.5 billion constitutional shortfall in the PERS-TERS account. Now, that's just something you can wipe away. Mm-hmm. That is a constitutional obligation. We have gone through the constitutional budget reserve. Uh, what to the tune? You know the numbers. What is it? Ten or ten or eleven or twelve? No, six. It was the CBR and the SBR used to be almost sixteen billion. Now it's like less than a billion. Okay, and if you read the Constitution, which occasionally I do, and once in a while, people, even the politicians, read it. When you draw out of the CBR, that's not just a, an account that you can drain. You're supposed to pay it back. You're supposed to pay it back. That is a constitutional but, 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 debt. But that's always been a very obscure, like, well, we'll pay it back whenever we pay it back. I mean, well, yeah, it's, it's not. It's, very obscure. Um, so just because it's obscure uh, in the Constitution doesn't mean it's not a real obligation mm-hmm. or a debt. Okay, so we've blown all through that money. And now we've got, from what you're telling me, the commissioner of administration is fooling around with Alaska housing and they're going to borrow well, no. some more money. And we had, you know, we, well, she, I don't think she's doing, I'm not sure if that's her HFC is under, uh, maybe that's over in commerce. Yeah. Yeah. She, she was doing, the, see the, if Sean Parnell was here, he would know. She, that's she, 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 Sean she, Parnell she, she's really doing knew. the trying to re, 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 uh, realign and create this new IT department for $8 million and move all these other shared services around uh, to the other, she thinks that's to doing something else. Fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to chip my teeth about that, but you have Mike Dunleavy saying we're gonna we're gonna borrow what three hundred million dollars, okay. We we spent our way into oblivion, we can't seem to balance our budget. And so what does Governor Dunleavy want? He wants to borrow our way into prosperity. You know we couldn't spend our way into prosperity, uh, so he's gonna borrow our way into prosperity. How is that gonna work? And we're 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 coming up on an hour, and I gotta watch the state of the state. But I I, I do want to do another one with you because we've had discussions before and we haven't even talked about the permanent fund dividend and the, and the permanent fund but um i know you're a full, full dividend guy and you want to get it in the constitution we've, we've had discussions about that but i i just don't uh know how you begin to solve this problem by handing out big big large dividend checks and and not even if you tax all kinds of people all kinds of money there's still not going to be enough well if if you have me back on your show i would be glad to come and i'll i'll tell you you know, you characterize me as a full dividend guy. I mean, what's well, we, the uh, historic statutory f- formula? Well, I'll tell you what. I I like the full dividend because for almost thirty years or over thirty years, it worked for Alaskans, every Alaskan. But we could, you know, the the thing that is most important is protecting the permanent fund, and that means protecting it from. The politicians rating it. That means protecting it from inflation. And the most, the second most important thing is protecting it by putting a permanent fund dividend formula, one that works. We could talk about full or what that means Mm -hmm. 
in the Constitution because my, my, nobody my, my, trusts the politicians my, not to. If it's just a statute, they've already proven. My, my biggest they'll fear, rip it off. My biggest fear, and this is somebody who lives in this state. I moved here. I've been here over sixteen years, and you know, I, I have a home in Anchorage. I went to school. I mean, I love I love Alaska. My biggest fear is they are going to do exactly to the earnings reserve account what they did to the CBR. Because when I ran for the first time well, in twenty, why are you afraid of that? Don't be afraid. That's terrifying. Mike Dunleavy has already started that. Yeah, exactly. It's, and and it's there's a lot of legislators who believe, who want to go along with that. Yeah, don't be afraid of that. It's happening right now. And Mike Dunleavy well, and is I, leading the charge. I am. I mean, the, 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 the only reason I think maybe there might be a, a push against that is because I think, you know, Bert Stedman would, would probably rather, you know, get you know physically harmed than than do that i mean he's just he's very against that and he has a lot of sway in the senate but i'm just i'm just saying what i was gonna say earlier was the problem is and 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 i I can say this and you know maybe i would be different if i was there but i if i were to be there i do not care about getting real i really wouldn't i would do what i thought was right and if i didn't get reelected well fuck it i'll do something else most of them all they think about is what do i do today that will ensure i get reelected tomorrow and, and and a lot of that has to do with not doing anything that you know we need to do because some of the things we need to do is not aren't going to be easily explainable or to the public or or even popular. But my view of this happens to be, you know, if you're a leader, you, you get elected, you lead, you explain it, you tell the people why they're wrong if they're wrong. That's what Mandela's philosophy on leadership was, and you know what that works. I, Jeff Lanfield, I like you, but you're, you're spewing out bromides here. I'm not spewing up bromides. They, they sound, and I'm, I'm sure you believe. These are, it. these are, these are. There's some people who, who actually. Chris Birch was one of them. He, he would t- t- do what he knew was right, and if he didn't, he would explain it to his people in the district. Well, that's an admirable quality. But I'll segue out because you got to go watch the state of the state. You're going to watch it, Governor. No, I'm not watching somebody who's phoning it in. I can read about it on a. You know, a text. If he's not going to well, do there, it, there's a press availability afterwards for the well, some of the folks. What a the, cheesy way to deliver the state of the state. I know? agree. No, I, I think that's. Well, you know, why doesn't he just have a special assistant read it? You know? <laughs> I mean, so now I'll segue out by doing this. <clears throat> if the assignment, you tell me where I'm wrong. If the assignment is on the permanent fund and the permanent fund dividend, okay, we want to protect the permanent fund, and that includes the money that's not in the corpus, in the earnings reserve account. Okay, do we want to do that? That's one goal. Okay. 100%, 100% yes. Sure. Do we want to grow the permanent fund? Yes. Okay. I think that's doable. Do we want to provide the citizens that really own the permanent fund with a little slice of their fund? The, the question is... No, no, what, no. What? That's a yes or no question. I, I, Are you I, willing I, to... I, I would say yes, but the question is, what is the purpose of the permanent no, fund? No, no, Why we, was it set up? Let's not get into ways and, and, and how do you... Is that through a dividend check or is that through funding our, our government and our state and... You know, which everybody benefits from. I'll tell you what, every politician, as soon as they get in there, the the great majority of them think once they're there, well, this is really difficult. And now that I've got more information, I'm actually better at spending this money than the average. I'd also say say that my opinion, my my belief is different than the other people. You know, if I was, there's 60 people in that building with those different beliefs. They, they They have to work that out. I got you to agree on the first two. And we want to protect the permanent fund from inflation. Do we want to do that? Sure, of course. Okay. Should Alaskans get a little bit? Should they, they have a guarantee that they'll get a little bit of a dividend? Well, we can worry about the percentages or we can worry about how we do the, the ways and means of that. 
But is there something wrong with Alaskans benefiting? I, 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 I would say if, if, if that guarantee, whatever that would be, if that guarantee well, you're putting conditions w- w- on went, it. went along with the other three things, which is which is um, not you know protecting the well, fund no, we're itself. We're not done yet. We're not uh, okay. So you're inflation proofing it and and um, okay. just as a principle. So let me let's and add a gro- few growing it. Let's growing it. Let's add a few more things. Can we get 15 votes in the Senate for whatever it is that we're going to try to? Very difficult. Okay, but I think we could. Could we get 30 in the House? More, even more difficult, probably. But that's part of the work assignment. Now let's add a few more things. And, and a vote of the people, too. For Yeah, it's the vote of the people. And, and can you keep it down to, because it is a vote of the people, and you don't want to override it and have too many competing claims in there, can you keep it to three or four pages as it appears on the ballot and not look like ballot measure two, which is like, you know, mm-hmm. oh, which passed, by the way. All those, all those people who say, "Oh, it was too long, too complicated, and everything," and you know, <laughs> still passed. And I'll tell you because well, it was you know, complicated, but you know, it did pass. Well, yeah. It wasn't that complicated. The the white hot anger of the electorate, who's basically had it with all the politicians. Well, it was also very. It was like it was like a point. It was like the margin was like a point. So, it was white hot, but it was definitely there was something there that got it to pass. So the people who put that together and ran that campaign did a damn good job. No, they, no, they, no they, for sure they did. And they deserve and, all and, the and, credit in the world. And they did a good job, and the other the other side did a bad job of not really opposing it. Well, I don't know about a bad job, Jeff. You're so harsh. They didn't really. I mean, they didn't even start until a so, month before the election. Well, I'd be delighted to come back on your show to talk about the permanent, permanently protecting it, growing it, making sure that it's not subject to the ravages of inflation. I'll add another thing. And there's going to be guaranteed money for government services. Now, Jay Hammond and Oral Freeman and Hugh Malone and the people, Clem Tillian, they didn't set up the permanent fund to be a, a, a government slush fund, a rainy day account. It was just a savings account so they wouldn't blow it through. As Lou Dishner said, we're not going to piss it all away. No, they haven't talked about, no, this is, no, they, there was, I've read plenty of things about this is, we set this up today with the money we have so we can, in the future, when the oil doesn't do it, we'll have something to, to take care of us. Right. They said and, that. I mean, they, yeah, they that it was, was said know, a lot. That, that didn't mean that we're going to take care of every range 27, you know, division director so that they can, you know, pile up a bunch of money and buy a place in Bend over Oregon. Or I, I, yeah, I agree with that. But I, I think the point was to, to fund exactly. the government. You know. No, it, it was, it was, <clears throat> this is a once in a lifetime non-renewable resource that we're not going to have this generation <clears throat> blow it all, uh, you know, building barley terminals yeah. and other goofball projects. We're going to save some of it so that the next generation or the generations after that can do with it as they want. It wasn't for government. It was to make sure that there's a trust fund. Well, I think the term they, the, the the phrase that I like is you turn a non-renewable resource yep. into a renewable, which you know the oil into into a into a fund. So deal. I'll I'd be glad to talk about. Can you grow it? Can you protect it from inflation? Can you protect it from the politicians? Can you fold in some of the earnings reserve account because they're already going to blow that? Why, why don't Why don't you run for office, Joe? You, you should get in there. I don't want to run for office. Can get you, you get imagine you, get me you in sitting? There. Can you imagine me sitting down next to Laura Reinbold? She'd want to kill me. I'd love to see that. Well, she's a special person. Maybe you go in the house then. You know, you can. Okay, and plus we got to get fifteen votes in the Senate. We got to get thirty in the House, and it's got to pass muster with the public. What's so hard about that? I mean, what, what's what's so hard about walking across Siberia? One step at a time. <laughs> That's and right, I'll tell you yeah. what: you got to listen to people. You got to listen to Laura Reinbold. It's easy to make fun for her because she's like a cartoon. 
It's easy to make fun of David Eastman, but you know, he has some points. I listened to Ben Carpenter, Representative Carpenter, and he can be kind of a hothead and everything, but you know, he really wants to grow that fund. And he's right. If we could tighten up our belt a little bit and trim here and adjust here and use time to, to figure out, we can pay for government, most, not all. We, we can protect it. You know, if they're, if they're talking about POMV, if that's the platform, you know, there's people saying, well, let's just call it 7%. And, of course, Angela Rodell and her crew says, 7%. That'll fail with, you know, one out of five times in the next 10 years. Yeah, I don't years. think seven's going to do it. No. Well, so five, even five's, you know. Generous. Five's too high. Yeah. It's got to be four. So how can you get it around four? How can you get a guaranteed, because nobody trusts the politicians if it's not in the, for, for the permanent fund dividend? You know, if you listen to people and you work with them, you can come up with well, a solution. Well, those are big, big questions that I, I want to talk about next time. All right. So with, you're going to go with, listen with, to the governor phone it in. Um, I'm going to watch, watch him phone it in. Yeah, I think he's going to record. They're going to broadcast it Okay. on the Internet. So, Jeff Landfield, what should I be doing in the next 10 or 15 days to what make should, Alaska you, a better place? You, uh, well, I think you should definitely consider going to, back to that Montana, that picture you sent me with that lovely canoe. <laughs> Montana is my second favorite state after Alaska in the whole year. That was a good picture you sent me. All right. Well, it's wonderful being on your show. And uh, No, I like the discussions. You're, you know, you're one, any, of my, one of my favorites. Any of your listeners, anything that you disagree with, just contact Jeff. And uh, No, no, you contact Joe Geldof, uh, the law offices of, right? You can contact me, but the, the guy really is, to, to get to Jeff Landfield, because he's involved in the Capitol, and he's making a difference down here with his uh, reporting services. I'll just go hide in the Capitol, because the public can't get in, but I got the media thing, so I... I can hide in the Capitol and they can't, they can't get to me if you, if you sick them on me. All right, folks. Um, Joe, thanks for coming in. Geld, Joe Geld, and a big shout out to the Marine Engineering um, Benevolent Association for letting me use the studio or the conference room here. It's, it's very, very helpful. So, uh, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, uh, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.